You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust, committed to conservation. It is February the 24th, and we are in the studio, if you want to call it that, with uh, the dock. Back in back in action with the dock. We've got the director of conservation, and that means we've got the person who pretty much does all the finalizing of putting on a conservation easement through our office, whether it be from a grant writing standpoint or from just a donation standpoint. Also, she's the uh, the brain trust behind many of the lands that go to uh, public access. So, Crystal, thank you for joining us. We're going to go through a list of things we did in 2019 and upcoming projects as well, um, as best we can. But uh, first, we need to uh, remind you that our sponsor, Backcountry and Beyond, is uh, the place you need to be for all your outdoor gear. Um, Sam, have you been there in the past week? I have not. But... uh, I know that uh, they're running a sale still on, on Yeti stuff and paddle boards, so if you need that, now's the time. I haven't been there in the last week just because it's in the off-season. Um, February, March, just a downtime for me getting in the outdoors, but as soon as March rolls around, I start to think about turkey season again. Thinking about gear. I start thinking yeah. about gear. I'll definitely be over there. Um, but if you're well, not in Salisbury, like we said last week, um, they're going to be at the uh, Dixie Deer Classic showing off some of their premier product and uh, that'd be a good time to get in touch with those guys and, and see what good customer service is all about. Yeah, go check out their booth and then also if you're not in Salisbury, go to their website which is backcountrybeyond, backcountryandbeyond.com, backcountrybeyond.com. Yeah, backcountry is one word, uh-huh. backcountryandbeyond. And uh, go see all their product online. But we'll talk more about them here in a little bit, but let's get into these projects, what you say? Yeah, so Crystal, let's uh, we're going to kind of break them out by county. We uh, in the we've talked about this a, a good bit on the podcast, but uh, we merged and increased our footprint five counties, uh, taking over what North Carolinians refer to as the Sand Hills region. Um, it's just the southern central Piedmont of North Carolina is a better way to put it for out of state folks. Um, Explain, explain the history of the Sandhills a little bit. Like, I know you, I know you've got a pretty good working knowledge of how this came to be. So it's you're in the central part of North Carolina, but you feel like you're at the beach. Uh, what's the what's the reasoning behind that? Geographically, what happened? I believe most of that was underwater. It at was one underwater. point in time. Yep, it was it was part of the ocean at one point. You can still find seashells there. I mean, it's very strange. It's where the mountains and the coastal plain kind of meet. And so you've got a really neat intricacy of species overlapping that shouldn't overlap. That's right. I mean, they're nowhere else to be found together. So you'll have mountain laurel and rhododendron growing in the same place as Carolina Bay and longleaf, and pine. longleaf pine. Yeah, and you'll Is have there... tiger salamanders and and then in the same th- place a marble salamander. It's very odd. Is there any relation with the sand hills uh, between the sand hills and the fall line? Do you know that? That's a good question. It's above my pay grade. I, I really don't know. We'll keep talking. I'll look it up. Um, I do know that elevation change is significant once you drop off into the Sand Hills kind of barrier there, Richmond County line area. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because, um, you know, the Uwari Mountain Range, for all intents and purposes, stretches 
way down the Yakin PD into Richmond County and almost to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, just east of that, where the sand hills start, you know, you go from a 800 foot elevation to 40 feet very quickly right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I'm sure that's got. You can paddle up Mountain Creek, and one side of it is Mountain Laurel and rocky outcrops, and the other side of it is longleaf pine and sandy area. And wiregrass. It's pretty. It's pretty wild. Very wild and interesting. So it's a great place to work. So we're excited to have taken on that unique footprint here in North Carolina. So now we've really got a, as far as habitats that we're able to conserve, our reach is far expanded past what it once was. Um, so that said, let's uh, let's maybe start with the, the newer counties. Um, Sand sure. Hills area, we'll refer to them as Sand Hills area counties, even if they, they're not, just because they're in our new footprint. Um, I'm looking at Moore County. Let's talk about some of the projects in 2019 and what they mean to conservation. Absolutely. So I'm pretty proud to say that we closed projects in nine of our 15 counties last year, um, which is pretty good representation. Um, Moore County actually has the most of all the counties that we One of our new counties. Closed projects in. That's That's right. So a few of the ones that we closed were um, a property that went to the Plant Conservation Program, which is a state agency that protects rare and endangered plant species. So we transferred a 15-acre tract uh, to them through funding from the Clean Water Management Trust Fund. Are you allowed to say what? Yeah, what yeah it's, secret, got, it's got Sand Hills Lily on it. Sand Hills Lily. Yeah, so, Lilium yeah. pyrophyllum. Look, look that look that up when you get a chance. It's, a, it's not a very distinguishable plant unless you know what you're looking for. It looks a lot like a Carolina Lily, mm-hmm. but it's pink. Yep. I feel like there's going to be a lot of looking up. Get your get your cell phone or your computer out while you're listening to this one because there's going to be a lot of species and things to learn about. But yeah, so I went to the Plant Conservation Group, uh, which is great. Um, so it's in the public trust now. That's right. So we also closed uh, several conservation easements. We closed an easement on a 17-acre piece on the Deep River. We closed an easement on a 170-acre piece on McClendon's Creek. Um, so both of those were conservation easements. They were a combination of a donated uplands easement and a, a purchased clean water riparian easement. Um, so both of those had been in the making for a number of years and we were able to bring those to close. Uh, we had an estate gift of 30 acres um, close to Fort Bragg that was donated to us. Um, and then our last project that closed of the year was in Moore and Richmond County. It was an 86-acre conservation easement completely donated um, on Drowning Creek. So, when you, so yeah, that, I'm glad you said that. So completely donated. So there's a big difference in mm-hmm. conservation values and things, but completely donated, the, those are of great value because there are no conservation dollars really being spent other than staff time to close to protect a property perpetually versus you know those monies can go to properties that are maybe more valuable from a development standpoint that folks can't afford to get rid of and and we understand that but um, those donated properties are extremely important for for conservation value and it's the folks that do it there's a there's a special place in heaven for those people because they're 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 not worried about their bottom line they're more worried about the conservation and let's yeah it's been a while since crystal's been on so let's talk about the difference between i'm gonna let this salisbury emergency go by there's always an emergency in salisbury (laughs) um 
it's been a while since we had Crystal on, so let's talk about the difference. Like, first of all, what a conservation easement is, and then the difference between when we say a purchased conservation easement or a partially purchased conservation easement or a donated conservation easement, what that means and what that means for the landowner and for us and what what you have to do. Sure. So a conservation easement is basically a legal document that restricts development. So a landowner can either donate the development rights to the land trust or they can work with us to apply for grant funding to purchase or do a bargain sale of the easement. Um, both of these methods see the land protected the same way. Um, the donated easement, all the benefit to the landowner is in the form of tax benefits. Which may or may not benefit a landowner, depending on their income and whatever else the factors are that the IRS look at. Um, well, that's not what we do. We, we just look at the conservation value and, and set the easement up. The good thing about what I like so much about donated easements is the landowner is really flexible in how they can work with us on the language in a, in a donated easement. That way they can plan for their, their heirs and their future of the property based on what they would like to see and then we can give them recommendations based on what the best conservation practice would be. So if they've got, for an example, two children that are going to inherit the land, we can advise them on how best to allow that to be inherited without it being subdivided. Um, we can we can advise them on you know where a good home site placement would be that wouldn't impede the conservation value of the property and go ahead and lock those in and then there's no third party you know uh, for better for lack of a better term button their head in I mean we're able to solve that in-house right they're they're a much more flexible document um, and also can happen a lot more quickly uh, if you're doing a grant application to purchase an easement that's a two to four year process so a donated easement, we've closed in as little as three weeks before. Mm -hmm. So that's why if you've got the means and your bottom line is less important to you than, than the conservation, like conservation is the most important thing to you and your bottom line isn't, a donated easement is what I recommend first. Um, just because you've got that flexibility, you're not going to be dealing with multiple parties on something and we're going to be able to make sure it's the best fit for you. And in, in terms of the tax benefits, there is a carrot at the end of the stick. It's not, you know, there is a benefit to a landowner. True. Um, but it's just a faster moving process. And you're working with us and not, you know, a state or federal agency. And tax law changes every couple of years depending on who's in office. And, and so it could be that some years it's better, more of a carrot than other years. But uh, right now it's decent carrot. Uh, decent carrot. So... Let's, uh, didn't mean to interrupt you there. That's fine. Let's, let's move on to Randolph County. Yeah, talk about Randolph. Um, so we can kind of talk some more about the public access, yep. uh, what's going on there. Um, we closed three projects in Randolph County last year, the first of which was a nine-acre piece that added on to about 18 acres that we have on the Warrior River on Highway, one, Highway 49. Um, and the whole purpose in acquiring those lands is that we're hoping to develop river access mm -hmm. um, to the Warrior River there. So... Uh, we actually put in a grant to REI a couple weeks ago to help with uh, hopefully developing some parking there. Um, so it's a, it's a long-term goal for us, um, but we'd love to see that happen and see that property get into public ownership. And can I stop you there? So we purchased, we own that property now. Right. Um, and we do a little bit of that, but generally we have a takeout plan, correct? When we purchase a property... The goal is, like in this case, public access or transferring it to the Forest Service, transferring it to, hey, what's up, Travis? 
Yeah, we're back. Sorry, Travis stuck his head in for a second. Um, so we were talking about takeout agencies that we work with, and generally when we purchase a property, we have a takeout agent in mind uh, that we've communicated with who might have an interest in owning this property. So in case of this property, the Meyer property in Randolph County, um, you had a takeout agency in mind from the very get-go. Well, we're, we're hoping that it may be one of those situations that the Wildlife Commission has an interest in. Um, we don't know yet, but uh, they've been working on the Worry River as a Blue Way project for a number of years, helped us develop three other accesses there. So it may be something that if we can get an access installed, then they would have some interest in. Um, but the next property I'm going to talk about in Randolph County, we definitely have an exit strategy for it. Um, and that's a property that we bought uh, back in March, and it's about 100 acres, and it's got a stretch of the Uwari Trail on it. Yep. So uh, if you are a hiker of the Uwari Trail and you've been in the Burkhead, you have been on the Dassau property. Um, we, we purchased it, and we are working to get that into the ownership of the United States Forest Service. Yeah, it's so let me, because you're not going to toot your own horn here, so let me do it for you. Um, the Uwari Trail, 40 historical miles of trail, was has not been and is still not contiguous and in public ownership. There's all these little in holdings and parcels that are owned by private landowners scattered up and down the trail. And I think it's been Crystal's career mission to piece this trail back together and, and have the Forest Service own the whole thing. Um, so I tell you that to tell you this, there's only two parcels left. I mean, one, one if you go a certain direction. Um, and the thing is, is, you know, obviously it's a landlord that may or may not be willing to sell at this particular time. So it's a, it's a waiting game. Uh, you know, nobody owns land forever. Eventually something happens and it changes ownership and somebody may be willing to sell it at another point. Or there may be a better offer come along where we can, you know, get an easement through there or something. But overall the goal is to have this trail contiguous the whole 40 miles and we're down to the, the last the last piece. Um, and this these ones that she's talking about transferring now, that's just a, a piece of the puzzle that she picked up, what, three years ago? We're in the third year of it. It takes, it takes that long to transfer a property to a federal government agency. Just, just because of, I wouldn't say necessarily the paperwork and bureaucracy, it's more the, uh, the research they have to do into it involving, you know, they've got, it's the federal government, so they've got the entire United States they're trying to deal with. It isn't just the Burkhead Wilderness and the URs. It's the entire United States. So, you know, one little parcel on the UR Trail may not be as big a deal as maybe something on the Savannah River National Wildlife Refuge that's restricting access for employees or something. So that's why it takes a bit of time. And there's also, what, one appraiser for the whole region? Yeah. yeah. So, so so there's a lot. Of, there's, there's one dude doing ten jobs just like here at our office. So it takes a long amount of time, so that's why... Outfits like ours are extremely important to public access, contrary to popular belief. The the uh, well, Sam laughs at it, but it's it's not it's not widely known yeah. that private nonprofit groups purchase land, can do it fast, and we hold it until a public agency can take it over and are responsible for the a predominant amount of public access spots. That, exactly. And, and, not, the, and the carrying costs. The carry. you know, we're not always exempt from property tax. Exactly. We have to maintain those properties. We have boundaries to post. We have trash to pick up. Yeah, and, and in the case of the river access, enhance the property on our dime or whatever grant we can get a hold of to make it appealing 
to the de- deciding suits in a in an agency. You know, because you know we may look at it and have a completely different view on it than they do. But once the access is installed, it's like, oh, this is a layup for us. We'll take it then. So, yeah. and you know, it's it's playing that weird shell game. There's a few things with like Toot and Crystal's horn. I mean, and the Land Trust horn in general. The Uori Trail and the Land Trust and Crystal and most of that has been responsible. All of that really has been responsible for eight miles of reconnecting the Uori Trail. Eight miles of trail that's been reconnected in the last, what, 10 years, decade? Yeah, it's been just in the last probably seven or eight years that we've added about eight miles of trail to the northern end of the Uori Trail. Um, but it's it's definitely a group effort. Um, we've got a lot of great volunteers. The Uori Trailblazers put in mm-hmm. a lot of work. Um, and this has been going on since before I started at the Land Trust, really late 90s, um, the effort to reconnect the Uori Trail started. and. Fortunately, I've been able to play a role in acquiring some strategic pieces to fill those gaps. There were five gaps initially, and now we're down to one. Um, so, getting real close. Yeah. And then another thing we glossed over was when we were talking about the Meyer Track and putting on access points on the Warrior River. Just kind of quickly, you just glossed over and said, yeah, we've been responsible for adding three access points to the Warrior River. I think that's something like we should Worth re- yeah, reemphasize. Three access points that were not there before have been put on to the Uori River uh, for your use and for anybody's use because of Three Rivers Land Trust. So um, it's just another example of what we're doing for, for you. And this is just a good way to explain, you know, when we're pushing fundraising things, this is the kind of stuff it's going for. Mm-hmm. And Sam and I can talk about it all day but without having Crystal here to explain that each unique project mm-hmm. you know it's probably lost in the translation somewhere. sure mm-hmm. so yeah you got a, you want to move to the next one yeah so um moving back to randolph county we had one other project closed this year in randolph county and that was our poison fork forest project and this is a, a phenomenal piece of property on an outstanding resource water we protected 250 acres this year uh, thanks to some private donation and some funding from the open space institute and we found out this year that we're awarded by Clean Water for another 250 acres uh, adjoining what we just protected. So it's a pretty big project for us. Yep. Is it, and it's going to be conservation easements. It is conservation easements. That's right. And I think we've done a pretty good job of defining the difference between fee on protection and conservation easements. So let's. But yeah, I think I think that is worth touching on briefly, which is when we say we've conserved a property. There's a hand. There's a couple of ways that we're doing that. One, um, we're either we're owning that property like we do with the point and managing it ourselves, uh, which is probably the smallest piece of the pie in terms of what we do. Um, the other way, like we just touched on with the Meyer property, is transfers. Um, so we purchase the property, and then we transfer it to another agency, a takeout agency. And then the third way is conserving private lands by putting the easements that Chris was talking about before on that property, restricting development, restricting subdivision, and though we are not involved in it besides monitoring once a year from that point forward, and it still remains private lands, we were a part of protecting and that we, property and conserving it. So yeah, that's, and we are tied to it yeah, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a monitoring standpoint, that's how we're tied to it. So even though it's privately owned, we enforce those conservation values forever. You know, even after Sam, Crystal, and I are gone, there'll be other folks that take our place, and those easements will be monitored forever. And should there ever arise a time where 
there's a violation you know that that doesn't concur with the easement in that case we are the financial backer to to resolve that issue um, mm. so it's yeah we're tied to them forever and if you were to step if you were in the office with us right now and you were to step around the corner you would walk into a room that has shelves with 218 binders on it um, and each binder has a monitoring report annual monitoring report um, dating back to this is our 25th year so 25 years ago is the first one um, and that kind of shows how we're we're attached and connected to each property and are tied to it um, and annually have to go check on it and make sure that we're the conservation values are still intact so yeah yeah let's go to the next one yeah let's move on to stanley county uh so we closed two projects in stanley last year uh one of which was the deke property this was a 25 acre piece that transferred to mar mountain state park along mountain creek it's just a beautiful beautiful place back there we we worked last year to transfer 50 acres that adjoins it uh to state park so we were excited to get funding and be able to to transfer some additional lands there um, and we also closed one of our largest easements recently, about 410 acres, uh, not too far from Mara Mountain, also in Stanley County, um, on Mountain View Church Road. Uh, it's a combination of farm and forest land, and it's actually the, also known as the Palestine Rare Plant Site. There's several species of, of unique plants out there, including Schweinet Sunflower, which is a federally endangered species. Yeah, so if you, are you noticing a trend here? The trend is unique conservation properties and public access. It's kind of the, like if you're looking at a long-term trend of conservation properties, it's going to be, you know, superior conservation values, you know, like in that case, rare and endangered plants, and then adjacent to Mara Mountain State Park, adding on to Mara Mountain. Uh, what, what's, what's wrong with that? Schweinet sunflower are pretty unique. We were talking about it uh, in the car just a couple weeks ago and how they grow out of like a bulb like a tuber almost mm -hmm. yeah they do grow from a tuber and they're only found in 10 counties in north and south carolina in the piedmont in the world in the world and the funny thing is is where they grow is yeah. disturbed sites usually um Which usually early successional disturbance Right, along roadsides and utility right-of-ways and things like that. Some people think that it may have something to do with bison and large herbivores that used to kind of disturb the soil. That, that's exactly my theory. Um, exactly my theory, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where they grow. So it's a w weird endangered plant. Usually endangered plants, when you think of them, are in old growth. Pristine. Pristine settings. And, and this, one, this one grows in a disturbance site, like... You know, utility right-of-ways, for example. So, yeah, protecting places that have that just because they need to be protected. Since I started working under Cody and Crystal, I'm the Associate Director of Conservation is now my title. Um, I'm kind of learning a lot from both of them. The ass doc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. Oh, to. my God. We need to cut that out? No, we're going to leave it. It's too funny to not continue. Um, anyways... And one thing that I've seen on the easements and, and uh, kind of learned and have been a part of is a checklist that we go through in terms of well, there's so many, there's a lot of projects that come through the door, people, phone calls that we get about, hey, can, can we conserve or can we protect this property? And we have a staff of, we have what, eight now? 
And we always get that wrong. Just let's go ahead and count it out. Okay. Ten. We, ten. Yeah. Yeah, oh, we, with the Sandhills yeah. folks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. We get mm-hmm. that wrong every time. It's ten staff. And let's just because we've gotten it wrong so many times. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's go ahead and name out all the titles. It changed. It's it, this has all been changing so fast in the last few months. Yeah. So let's go through and do Start it. Start yeah. from front desk. So our our front desk as far as when you call the office, the first mm-hmm. person you're going to talk to is is there. Mm-hmm. And then we've got our executive director. Will you just say their name? Tiffany Dorn. Yeah, I guess. Why not? Why not? Sure. Tiffany Dorn's at the front desk. Then Travis Moorhead is executive our executive director. director. Mikey Nye Folk is our associate director. Then you got Crystal, director of conservation. Sam, associate director of conservation. Then you got me. I'm going to be the conservation lands manager. And then you've got Brian. Brian's going to be our Western membership Western Regional, Western Regional Director. Regional director. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Ellie Daniels in the Sand Hill. She's going to be our Eastern Regional Director. And then you've got Val. Um, she's going to be our Stewardship Technician in the Sand Hills. Steely. 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 I left one. Yeah, Steely. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your old title? I, I never. Membership and Outreach Director. Membership and Outreach Director. Mm-hmm. I always want to call her Sportsman Access. Mm-hmm. So Steely's doing the Sports and Access Program and the Leopold Society, among other things. Now I'm kind of taking over the role that I was that I was in uh, before I moved to. And that's well, all. You guys. That's all ten. That's all ten. And then, on that note, we've got what one intern right now. Well, two interns if you count the one from Catawba. Mm-hmm. You got another one coming. Would make three interns. And then we've got a part-time technician in Eli Beverly and Associates. So we've got those guys as well. Does that cover everybody? I feel like we've left everybody out. So Man, many we've times. yeah, I know, and we've come uh, a long way from when we started. Yeah, um, it used to just I be started. everybody in this office, and that was it. Yeah, there was like five people. It's hard to keep track of. We've kind of grown pretty big. And Crystal's sitting here because she's like, "Yeah, you have no idea." Mm-hmm. She's she's been here when it was just her here. Before. <laughs> 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 so, so it's uh, Zach. I just want to make sure. Yeah, that was good. That's got that nothing to do with all this stuff. Anyways, yeah. um, I was on. talking about our checklist, our conservation checklist, because you have a lot of phone calls coming in, a lot of people stepping in saying, I want to protect my property. We can only do so many projects. Uh, we cover 15 counties. We have 10 staff members. So um, Crystal goes through and has created and was a part of creating this checklist to look at the conservation values of a property. And when she's talking about rare and endangered species and things like that, one thing that I do a lot of now and I'm helping you out with is getting on GIS and looking at map layers of rare and endangered species and natural heritage elements. And there's really a whole lot that goes into picking and choosing the properties that we can spend our time trying to conserve and protect. And if we could do them all, uh, we would try to do as many as we can, but we have to be, Crystal has to be pretty selective on, on the ones that she chooses. Well, and it's a permanent relationship, like Cody said. I mean, once we take an easement, we have it forever. So there's a, there's a finite number that we can protect. Um, as much as we'd like to protect everything we can, uh, we have to be somewhat choosy in what we're able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was it, a good side note. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't think we, not every property is worthy of, permanent protection there are and as yeah. much as it pains me to say this there are areas of the world that are either too far developed to warrant protection or there are areas that we would like to see development concentrated that way it doesn't sprawl out into the areas that we really want to protect is that a good way of saying I that think that's fair, yeah. and, I th- and that's one thing that i think if travis was here that he talks about is we're not anti-development he says this a lot we're not anti-development we're anti-dumb development right smart so um one thing that we do, and I guess it's worth talking about, is we've had people leave us tracts um, in their will or a life estate or whatever it may be, give us property that's inside the city 
intended as a trade land. Um, and a trade land would be somebody gives us this property that's an industrial site in the middle of a city and says, you can have this, but I intend for you to sell it so you can use the use the dollars for conservation. Yeah, I don't have the dollars on me. Exactly. You, but I do have this. Mm -hmm. And you guys deal in land. Mm -hmm. So, sure. Mm -hmm. So we've done some of that as well. But moving on. Yeah, you want to move on? We'll talk yeah. about some more projects here. Um, in Cabarrus County, we just closed one easement last year. Uh, that was the Rankin Farm. It's a 95-acre piece on Cottle Creek Reservoir. Um, if that name sounds familiar, we did a, another project on Cottle Creek Reservoir last year, the Helms property. Um, both of those are protecting a, an important water system, a critical watershed area. Um, so pretty important project. So critical, in fact, that it does not allow any public access, mm. which is a hot topic mm -hmm. in that area. Yeah, but, you can't uh, paddle your boat out there. You can't put your boat in. You can't, can't fish from can't the bank. You can't crappy fish. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just one of those areas that, I don't know, it's, it's extremely protected for that reason, but maybe they'll, they'll loosen up on public access a little bit. Yeah. So the township or the city even came in and bought all the shoreline. Eminent mm -hmm. domain, correct? That's what a, a landowner that we know on Caudill Creek was talking about that, where they came through and they um, purchased the land around the reservoir to pretend, like prevent, if you owned land all the way down to the reservoir, then it would be your land going down to the reservoir and you could use it all the way down, but they purchased all the, the buffering shoreline to protect that reservoir. It's very protected. Yeah. So it's the it's the story as old as time in the United States of access being <laughs> taken away. <laughs> but anyways, it's it's taken away for a reason. We won't get into it any more than that. So let's move on to another county. Um, let's let's go to Rowan. Uh, we closed a 51 acre easement in Rowan County last year on a a really nice property uh, over near Mooresville. Uh, so one of the more developing areas of our county. Um, really nice hardwood forest. It was a donated easement uh, that had some provisions in to protect the stream. We got a clean water mini grant to cover transactional costs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's another great great project. You said you said something talking about costs associated with closing a closing an easement. So Sam and I are both in the process of looking for residences. Some of the costs associated it. It will blow your mind at, at what it costs just to do a conservation easement. Transactional costs, you've got appraisals, you've got attorney legal fees mm -hmm. in title research, then you've got attorney legal fees in filing, you've got survey costs, um, you've got planning department costs. Um, gosh, what am I leaving off? I mean, the fees go... Stewardship endowment. Stewardship endowment fee for us to continually come out and monitor. Um, Plus, you know, just the staff time of researching whether this property is going to be one that's a viable property for us to do. I mean, it's a it's a long list of costs associated that are usually not cost to the landowner. They're either covered through Crystal and us applying for grants, or you know, we just a lot of times cover them outright, with the exception of the endowment. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. And the appraisal appraisals are one thing that landowners. Uh, have to foot the yeah, bill we, for and explain why yeah we cannot be involved in the valuation of it because we're the beneficiaries exactly exactly yeah that that wouldn't make sense for us to uh, that would be very uh shady if we were if we were getting our own appraisal <laughs> appraisals uh, yeah well it's worth 10 bucks <laughs> you know so anyway moving to the next we're not one. even allowed to 
give a name of an appraiser that we want. You give a list, correct? Yeah, yeah give them the a area. list of yeah, people we that we're familiar with that have done these types of projects before because a conservation easement appraisal is not like a regular appraisal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically two appraisals in one. Uh, you know, a, a regular appraisal of your 20-acre tract you're going to buy and put your house on maybe three pages long, whereas a conservation easement appraisal is a book. I mean, it's not uncommon for them to be 200 pages because um, they're very closely scrutinized by the IRS when you're taking tax benefits. And there are certain things that have to be in there. And in order for us to sign off on your tax benefits, um, we have to make sure that those appraisals follow the right methodology. And the reason that you say it's basically two appraisals in one is one of those two appraisals in one would be its highest value. Highest and best use, which highest. is always some form of development. Mm-hmm, sure. And then the second one is after the easement is placed on the property with these restrictions, then what is it worth? And that difference is the value of the easement. Which is usually what? It's It's usually about 30 to 60% of the property value, but that's, it varies widely. Mm -hmm. But as a general rule, that's kind of what you're looking at when you put an easement on. Yeah, that's a good point. So when you're a landowner and you donate an easement, what you're donating is the value a 30 to 60 percent valuation on your property your your property is now worth less than what it was before even though from a monetary from value, a monetary yeah. standpoint even though you're still the owner of the property the property hasn't changed at all other than the only thing that you've given up is the ability to subdivide that property or develop that property any further and you're retaining the conservation value but if you still wanted to go out and recreate on that property if you still wanted to do agriculture however the easements written you can it's your property um, that's just what you're giving up. Yeah, that's clarification for me right there. Good. What's the next one? Let's move on uh, to Richmond County. We I already mentioned the line property, uh, which was an easement donated to us in both Moore and Richmond County. Uh, but we also had a fee land donated last year in Richmond County. Uh, a really nice property that's a longleaf pine savanna uh, that already had a bunch of great habitat work being done on it uh, and we're going to continue that. Yes we are. Um, that piece of property, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the landowner wanted to see this management continued and, and knew the value of that ecosystem and how special it was but also knew that you know that may not be something that she could do long term she was looking for an agency that or a group that would be able to you know continue her legacy right. i guess and and maintenance of this property and and eventually maybe see it transferred to another group who could you know if for some reason we couldn't continue to do that so she had done a lot of things she'd worked with the private lands biologist and you know several contractual foresters and stuff to get this property in a very nice state of management for wildlife um so we just were able we were able to transfer not only her incentives cost share incentives contract but you know the land and fee ownership over to us and continue that for her um yeah i mean what am i leaving out on that no that's that's a good synopsis and that that was a meeting that when we first sat down we were talking conservation easement and she realized that her kids have no interest in the property and if the management's going to persist after she's gone it's going to have to be through an agency like us um, and that was when she decided to donate the property to us. Yeah, that's a great piece. It is a nice piece. So moving on, uh, Montgomery County, we closed one conservation easement in Montgomery County last year. Uh, it was a 230 acre piece that adjoins the Nature Conservancy's Black Ankle Bog. 
So this is, we're talking longleaf pine, we're talking pitcher plant bogs, we're talking some more rare species, uh, definitely some longleaf restoration going on, some prescribed fire on the landscape. Um, just another piece that made all the sense in the world to be conserved. Yeah. Yeah, it's got carnivorous plants on it. Anytime you've got carnivorous plants, you've generally got a very special ecosystem. They're, uh, they're not predominant, especially in the southeast. And a lot of people don't realize there are pitcher plant bogs in the Piedmont. They sure. think that's more of a coastal thing, or there are even a few up in the mountains, but uh, there's a series of pitcher plant bogs in the Piedmont, uh, especially in the Uwaris, that are a really important habitat for a variety of species, not just the carnivorous plants, right. but things like pitcher plant moths and uh, bog spice bush and some other rare and endangered species. Yeah, you and I found some bog spice bush not that long ago. So yeah. I've been doing a little research on pitcher plants, and I think I know how they work uh, in terms of... <laughs> this is good. I like where this is going. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you how I think a pitcher plant works, and then y'all tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I like this. So it's an open plant that's kind of got like a basin, like a pitcher, and a fly or an insect will come down, and it's got some nectar or something on the inner rim of the pitcher, and... The fly lands and then it slides down. It's kind of got like a slippery surface that caused that flying insect to slide into a liquid that's held within the pitcher, which is like digestive fluid for the most part, which breaks down the insect and so it's really eating bugs. Mm -hmm. Is that is that right? Mm -hmm. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. It's got a hood, so, so it's not just an open top. It's got this little hood over top that's got like an attractant. Yeah. Just like you mm -hmm. said. So it's visually appealing. It probably lets off a pheromone of some kind to draw these insects in. And then just like you said, once they land on it, it's game over for But it's it's not like it's not like a Venus tri fly trap. There's not there's not yeah. like a snap or anything, but there is like I think it's a slippery material that causes that bug like when it lands to slide down into the digestive well, it has fluids. man i wish you had i wish i would have remembered that if, now that you brought it up it has these little hairs hairs backwards uh, facing hairs backwards facing hairs on the inside so it's not necessarily slippery as much as it's like velcro uh-huh like sure its hair reacts with the hairs on these insects and gosh there's a word it starts with an f and i cannot think of it to save my neck uh not it's not flagellate i know that's uh -huh. what you're about to say yeah. but no but it's like that uh -huh. but it's got these little hairs and it grabs them and then they, it slowly works them down, just like you said, okay, into the bottom. Gotcha. And if cool. you ever, so I don't recommend doing this, but when I was in college, just to illustrate the biology of a pitcher plant, a guy took one and split it open with a pocket knife. Uh, don't go out splitting open pitcher plants, but you split it open and there's all these different levels of digestion inside of them. Mm -hmm. So a fully, you know, a full insect that just got in there is up at the top. As you go a little farther down, he's missing the parts of his body farther down it starts to not look like an insect and then at the bottom it's just like a gel gelatinous you know liquid insect at the bottom mm -hmm. yeah that's what's happening and i think another thing that's interesting too is a lot of people think that that pitcher or, or that trumpet is the flower but mm -hmm. it's not there's a separate flower that comes up on its own stalk uh, that blooms out usually well depends on the species but here we have uh, flava and purpurea um, and i think they usually bloom sometime in may june yeah, so it won't be long. I think it would be a great sci-fi movie if there was a pitcher plant that ate humans. <laughs> That'd be dangling, super, dangling super creepy. Dangling a cheeseburger, um, cheeseburgers, or I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, what's the one with the Venus flytrap? Little yeah. Shop of Horrors. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. But anyways, move uh, 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the pitcher plant thing. They're super cool. And yeah, you cool. said Venus flytrap snapping. So Venus flytrap doesn't necessarily snap. Yeah. It's a really slow, when something lands in there, it gets stuck kind of the same way with a sticky, yeah, like, tongue type situation. Uh-huh. And then it closes. It's like a slow process. Sure. I mean, you can watch it. It isn't like it's like a time lapse thing, but it's it's not like snapping shut. Yeah, like, but the cartoon, like yeah, the cartoon Venus flytrap has like the wow. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't reach out and grab you. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they're super cool. Carnivorous plants are awesome. So moving on, uh, we'll talk about Davidson County now. Um, one of our other easements that closed near the end of the year was on a fifty-one acre piece of farm and forest land in Davidson County, close to the city of Lexington. And I was, uh, I was looking at the Davidson parcels the other day, and it's really surprising to me how many small parcels are in Davidson County. There really aren't a lot of 100-acre-plus parcels left in Davidson County. Scary. Yeah. Considering that's a, what I would call a fairly rural mm-hmm. county. Yeah. Um, but this is a great, great piece, um, great landowners to work with. They were actually located in Washington, D.C., uh, so we were able to do everything kind of remotely, um, FedExing stuff back and forth, and we're able to get that closed uh, before the end of the year, and it's it's a beautiful piece. So that's a good, there, here's a good one to example on. So did that landowner reach out to you or to us, or did we notice how valuable from a conservation standpoint this property would be and reach out to them? Now that landowner reached out to us. I would say that 90% of our work is reactionary, people, yep. people calling us. Um, it would just be impossible for us to be able to, I mean, we do some conservation prioritization and we reach out to important property owners along certain watersheds and things like that, but um, trail. it would be, <laughs> yeah, it would be virtually impossible to reach out to every you know, important property. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So but I think that's an important part of like this show in general and what we, what we're trying to do. Like Crystal just said, we cannot we can't reach out to landowners. We have, and we were talking about this earlier. We have ten staff members. We have fifteen counties, and we're really busy with the projects that we have on on our plate now. But we're always would love to do more conservation work on on properties that need to be protected. And if we find one that's needs to be protected, we're going to do whatever we can to try to get that place protected. But that process looks like somebody else reaching out to us, and that may be you know somebody who has a four hundred acre beautiful property that has river frontage and they may be interested in conserving the property but they don't even know what the land trust is or what we do so we can't really communicate with that landowner until they know about us first and reach out to us and want to hear about what we can do so um you know that's that's what getting the word out about the land trust is all about is and that's not, where the things like this show yeah are. and it's not only just for fundraising and for and for fundraising and getting dollars so we can do conservation work but it's also about getting the name out and the word out and that's why this episode right here is so important uh, is you now know a little bit more about what crystal does and what we do and um, you may know somebody who has a property that's worth being protected yeah yeah and the other thing is it's 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 a a hard thing to convince someone to conserve land. I mean, that's not something we want to do. I, I want to work with landowners that come to me with that desire um, and just help facilitate their goals uh, because, you know, it is a permanent relationship and, and you want to work with somebody who's just really got that desire. Yeah, and it's, this is America. So it, it's very hard to convince someone, to, hey, you're going to take a net loss on your billfold by doing this so I think you should do it like it's not how the world works so it's they need to come to us already having that desire 
and knowing that, yeah, it's probably not going to make me my top dollar for this property, but it's going to do all these other things for me and my community and the public. It's going to, you know, outweigh the, the dollar value by a lot. Let's talk about some of the other benefits of it besides tax incentives. Um, I know one thing is farmers will do it for the tax incentives, but to keep their farm and their family. Um, and I think a lot of it kind of goes back to a desire, like an emotional connection to the property. You hear that a lot, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a desire within a lot of people, especially land that's been in their family for generations, things that they're their grandfathers and great-grandfathers bought and, you know, scrapped and saved and acquired, and um, they don't ever want to see it split up. And uh, conservation easements can be a really important tool when you're doing estate planning, too, thinking about what's going to happen to that land. And maybe you've got three kids and you don't want your 100 acres split into three blocks, um, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it's a good tool for a number of different purposes. Yeah, I don't know. I agree with everything you just said. Um, what's uh, we're in Davidson County. While you're in Davidson County, let's let's talk about the the one we we'll talk briefly because we've talked about it so much. But but you you need to talk about it from your perspective. What? Yeah, the Alcoa lands. So mm-hmm. we conserved last year four thousand and sixty-seven acres total over sixteen projects and. 2,463 acres of that was the Alcoa lands. Um, So that was in Davidson, Davy, and Rowan. Land that we never owned. We were never in the chain of title, but we raised funds to help the Wildlife Commission acquire it so that game lands that have been in game lands for decades would stay that way. Yeah. Let's Um, talk about, let's talk about some grant applications. This is, I was the membership and outreach director at this point, but I, I know just the the names of these grants that y'all applied for and how much work y'all put into applying for these grants along with fundraising that the membership team did to make this project happen. So, um, I mean, NACA is one that comes to mind and let's talk a little bit about that document and how many pages went into that and I mean I know how much work goes into something like that but maybe listeners so NACA North American Wetlands Conservation um, that that's an extremely competitive big money grant for waterfowl habitat Um, the problem with NACA is it's it's ranked by region and each region gets an allotment of, of funding that they can apply for. Problem with NACA for this project was it did not fall within a focal region for the Atlantic Flyway of waterfowl. So Atlantic Flyway, of course, the entire state of North Carolina is in the Atlantic Flyway, but the focal area for NACA and the Atlantic Joint Coast Venture is the coastal region of North Carolina. And when I say coastal region, I mean less than 100 miles inland. Um, coastal, so from the Outer Banks and Barrier Reef inland 100 miles, which is not far. Um, that's the focal region. And I may be misquoting just a little bit on distances, but just to give you an idea of how narrow of a strip the focal area is, it's a lot. So we were competing with the rest of the country, not with that focal region, yeah. but we were competing with you know, everything in the Atlantic Flyway. So there's a lot of pristine waterfowl habitat in the Atlantic Flyway not that Alcoa was not, it's not necessarily pristine waterfowl habitat, but it was extremely important waterfowl habitat. Maybe not necessarily from a standpoint of nesting or migration, because we do have a waterfowl refuge or two, but it was extremely important from the uh, number of 
waterfowl hunters and recruitment and retention, which, you know, fund waterfowl conservation overall. So we applied for NALCA. That was a three-month process. It and that's was, the thing that I really wanted to say yeah. is how much work really went into it's it. It's a three-month process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then reapplied again and still didn't get it. Was You know, we applied the first time knowing it would be a shot in the dark because we were going to be competing against areas that were probably a little more valuable from a conservation standpoint because there's somebody just like we vet conservation easements that come from our region there's another group vetting NACA grants that come in and deciding which ones are better so ours didn't rank as high as it should but it did rank relatively and, high and that's like one thing that's worth saying is there's all these different grants that this team is working on and sending out and some get awarded we obviously got a lot of grants and got the project done and some don't but there's a lot of work going in from this side in terms of applications that are being sent out and work being done trying to round up the money. Um, and that's kind of one of the roles that we're playing here in this whole land acquisition process. And none of that work is work wasted. Because no. the information we use on one grant is vital to what we need for the next yeah, grant. How many times have we used the NACA research that you and I did over and over in yep. other grants? I mean, that was just kind of the one that got it started right. just because it was so much information from species and habitat types and forest types and you know how much is forested how much is you know yeah. everything so everything. and so we went on from that to get clean water grants and to yep. get cannon foundation grants and to get duke water resources grants um so ev everything has a purpose yeah and I, I, I would be amiss to say that you know crystal and i and sam were the only ones working on that grant we had you know we we reached out to other agencies with specialties in that in that specific thing we're researching i mean for example wildlife resources commission several of their staff members contributed you know information that crystal and i just couldn't get our hands on um you know waterfowl information protected species information so it wasn't just us there's other people we compiled everything but you know there's a lot of people that you know you got to look at for this kind of stuff so that was, knuckle was knuckle was just one Mm. You know, you can go on to the next grant. No, I mean, that was just, that was one example that I wanted to use, because I can't talk about all of them, but it is worth saying, you know, I, I wanted to use one that y'all put so much work into and then didn't get, because I, there's a lot that we do get, and there's, and we celebrate those, but. Yeah, you never um, hear about the ones you, never, you don't get. <laughs> exactly. You never hear about the ones that you don't get, and that was one that um, y'all worked so hard on, and um, so, I had well, some, I had one guy <clears throat> that works across the street that. Um, came to the dove hunt and he was down there and he was working on I'm not even going to say what he was doing but he uh, he came down and he was like I, I don't think he fully understand what we did so he's like you've been had your feet up on your desk today when I came down <laughs> and I don't I just that always stuck with me a little bit because I don't think he or people necessarily understand what's going on up here um, like we're sitting around waiting for phone calls or something like that waiting to do and so yeah. that was just that always kind of bothered me a little bit. Nah, I think I'm I'm glad to show how hard you guys are working. Have on him call Larry Hill. He'll attest that we. <laughs> well, anybody that's ever volunteered with us will attest yeah. to that. Yeah. And before we leave the topic of grants and and not getting them, uh, a lot of times too, we submit the same grant three, two, three, four that's times. Uh, the project that got funded by Clean Water for us last year that was my third year submitting that and. In the meantime, we're finding matching funds. We're finding other unique attributes of the property. We're, we're, you know, we have a never give up mentality. Yeah, yeah. At some point, I gave up on NACA, but, <laughs> but uh, I think if we would have kept applying, eventually there would have been a year where we didn't have a bunch of competition, and we probably would have gotten it. But we just didn't have the time frame to just keep 
and that's the problem. Sometimes you don't have that time frame. Yeah, landowners can't wait forever. They can't wait on you to conserve a property. They got to sell it to whoever's got the cash, right? Right. So. Crystal's Crystal's been doing this so long that I always like to ask her like what if questions or um, theoretical questions. What's the What's the longest project that like from beginning to end? Oh, um, and I want to try to guess. I, I have a guess, but I don't know. Go ahead. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, Sam. I kind of block it out. <laughs> no, um, you know, I would say that the, the projects that take generally take the longest to complete are the ones that have both state and federal funding. Oh, so yeah. some, some of our farmland projects have mm-hmm. taken four plus years to complete. Yeah, and then like that project, that project that you were just talking about a second ago, you've applied and made this application and been at the property and been working on it for three years and finally get accepted. And then you've got to go through the whole process. That's just where the work begins. That's right. From there. So that gives you a timeline of, you know, that's years and years. That's half a decade. Half a decade. You just think, if nobody were here to do it, it would just fall by the wayside. It'd be subdivided. It'd be subdivided. And it'd be, you know, Walmart or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I always say Walmart. I shouldn't knock on Walmart so hard, but. Dollar General. It'd be a Dollar General. It'd be $20 General. <laughs> side by side. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's all of the projects that we closed last year. Um, we can talk just a little bit, give some teasers about some of the stuff we're expecting to close yeah. this year. Please. Uh, we don't generally like to talk about projects much before they close because um, nothing is done until it's done. Um, but we got some great stuff coming up. We got uh, some more Moore County projects. Uh, some more deep river projects. Uh, we got a, a nice project over on High Rock Lake. Uh, and we even have a Harnett County project this year um, that's going to be closing. Way so, down east. Yeah, pretty much the far reaches of our, oh. our territory. Um, got another another piece on Drowning Creek that's looking to close this year that's a great longleaf restoration project. Um, and several big farmland projects we're working on. So um, looking like another good year. Yeah, and a continual push towards Tuckertown, uh, the second half of the Alcoa project as well, which is always kind of on the back burner um, or at the forefront, however you want to look at it, of what we're doing. It's definitely on everybody's mind of something we're, you know, writing grants for, raising money for, figuring out a way to, to get it done because mm-hmm. it's on the timeline. Yeah, and I think I, I'm always love when Crystal comes on because we talk we talk about Alcoa because it's such a big it's such a big project, and it's one that we're really excited about. But you hear from Crystal about all the other things that are going on. I mean, that's 16 other projects. Um, and one thing that you say a lot, Crystal, that I think is, um, you know, was new to me, was no matter the size of the project, whether it's 1,500 acres or 35 acres, 40 acres, it's the same amount of work. So all 16 of those um there's a lot of work that goes into every single one of those Um, and there's a reason we're protecting it so sure um did you list off all the ones you got coming up i think so yeah uh sam wanted to touch on too the fact that we submitted quite a few clean water projects for consideration (laughs) for this year Uh, so this was sam's first (laughs) sam's first first year working on clean water projects so what'd you think about it sam i think when we had our award ceremony, uh, celebrating some of our friends and our partners across the were region. Were you hoping you were going to get an award? No. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> From our own agency. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. Conservationist of the year goes to our staff members. Yeah. Way to go, yeah. Sam. <laughs> the ASDOT. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, <laughs> but no, Clean Water uh, and one of our friends over at Clean Water, Nancy, got one of those awards. And the thing that made me laugh and made me realize that maybe like this year was a little bit different than normal, um, and we are a little bit outside of the norm, I guess, in terms of how hard we're working, is that the Clean Water staff members are like, sure did put in a lot of applications this year. <laughs> they're like, how many was it? Was it? And they're like, it's like 11, right? And that's, they were, like, surprised that we put in 11. And I was like, well, we got four more coming in. And that, like, blew their mind. They were like, 15? 15 applications? Are you kidding? We cover 15 counties. But we do. I mean, and that's, I mean, you know, you can't get funded. What do you say? You can't catch fish unless you got a hook in the line, that's you right. know? Yeah, that's right. So we're going to we're gonna do our due diligence and try to get as, as much as we can. And where, where you really run into it getting crazy is when you get a whole bunch of them funded. And then you got to. You get that time frame of mm-hmm. when you've got to spend that money to get the landowner paid and get all the things closed. I mean, if you'd have got funded for all 15, if you get funded for all 15, dear Lord. It'll, that'll never happen. <laughs> but even people... I'll be happy if we get three or four funded. But I think I think it's a good um, barometer of how hard we're working that even the hard-working people over at Clean Water were impressed and a little surprised at how many applications we had sent in. Um because it means we're just we're over here cranking out apps and, and hoping to get funded and trying to do as much conservation as we can do. Well, it's all out yeah. of a good place. And it also shows the need. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are landowners that want this to happen. Mm-hmm. They, they want to conserve their properties. And unless we apply for it and show that need, how are we going to ever expect clean water to get more money? Yeah, yep. Yep. absolutely. And in, and in my, so two things. First, specify clean water. So when we, we keep saying clean water, it's the Clean Water Management Trust Fund for North Carolina. Um, it's uh, it's a state group that has funds available to nonprofits and other state groups and just everything in between for conservation work in areas that have high risk waters and outstanding resource waters or pretty much anywhere that a stream bank's involved. You know, clean water funds are generally eligible there for the most part. Is that a pretty good? Yeah, synopsis? it's uh, it's both. Because we used to have a natural heritage trust fund, those duties were wrapped into clean water. So it's not just water quality now, but it's also uh, natural communities. Um, Yeah, by natural heritage, she means, so if you go to the Natural Science Museum, you know, in Washington or in Raleigh, that's the kind of things you're looking at is natural heritage. You're looking at, you know, wild landscape things that are important. So yeah, rare species. species. Exactly. Biological communities that are important. Yeah. Yeah. So all that's rolled into the Clean Water Management Trust Fund now. And for out-of-state people, I think it's inter- like how we talk about the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission, which is our state fishing game agency. Yeah, our game and fish. Yeah. There's different names for like every state's got something different, like the SCDNR. And, that you know, you can get caught up in all the acronyms. Um so your our clean water management trust fund would be like South Carolina's conservation bank or other states. There's they're going to be different names for each state's um, conservation funding state conservation funding agency, um, but that's what clean water is for for us. Yeah. And so with that said, you know, in my opinion, they're as far as purchased easements go, the clean water ones are certainly my favorite ones to work with. Not only because of the streamlined process you guys do in the application but afterwards I've got someone I can get on the phone at any time with a question they're going to back me up if it, if there's a violation that needs to be enforced they're going to they're going to be on it and then the other thing is is they're willing to work with the landowner because when we put a 
clean water grant in, we're actually applying for an easement for them. So they're purchasing an easement that they're going to hold, and we're just going to be the go-between. We're going to be like the mediator coming in and monitoring the easement for them. And if something were to go wrong, they're going to be, you know, coordinating directly with the landowners. So that's what I was saying earlier about donated easements and third parties having an interest. Um, that's one of those situations where a third party would be involved. Another thing I'd like to say about those applications, this being my first year, is that I, uh, of the 15, I did five and Crystal did 10. And I think she worked half the time that I worked <laughs> on my on my five. So well, she's very good at what she's she does. She's also got a whole bunch of information saved up from years. <laughs> very, Crystal's, we're lucky to have her. She's very good at what she does. and um, She's got a computer screen that's like a 55-inch TV. <laughs> it's, it's, it's scary when you walk in there and she's got the mind running. Yeah, Crystal's, Crystal's living in 2030 over there in her office. Oh, uh, what else? What else, guys? Uh, I got something. Uh, Cody spilled a drink. Oh, are we really going to? I thought we made it past this. No. Mm-mm. Okay, go ahead. I yeah. did my first drink spill in like oh 10 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was, go gl- it was glorious. And really, there's not much to say other than whenever I spill a drink here in the office, like you're going to fist pump and like <laughs> sprint out of the office to tell everybody else that I've spilled a drink. So, um, it was just sweet, sweet karma for me. What's the and first then, thing you did? What did you do? I pulled my phone out and started videoing. I've showed everybody that. I showed oh. my parents that video yesterday. <laughs> did you really? I did. Oh Over lunch. God. They loved it. Oh, no, they did. Oh, sure. yeah. What did your dad say? He said that your smile on your face in that video, like, it looked like you knew that you had that coming. Oh, I definitely, yeah. I, mm-hmm. He's exactly right. What did mm-hmm. your mom say about it? She was laughing. They listen to the podcast, so they know they know that you've given me a hard time about it. So, oh, I definitely deserved it. it was I just I was really wishing it had been on the day when you weren't here. Mm-hmm. And the other the other thing about it, um, which is funny, is the same day that you spilled, we brought in the days since an accident board, which yep, is now up in our office. So. Um, so we'll give you updates on that. Sam initially wanted to start it. Sam with 33 days and Cody with zero days. Yeah. I, I'm like, where are you getting these numbers from? <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed right to me. But, uh, no, we're going to start it the day it came in, and the day we started it was today. So we're at zero days since an accident today, mm-hmm. and it's going to go from there. There's, you know, really nothing more to it than that. But and I think we came to a very fair um, agreement on this, which is, like, it shouldn't – this is supposed to be fun and supposed to make us, like, thoughtful about not making any – Accidents, but th- like let's talk quickly about accidents. That would be like um, leaving gates open at the properties, mindless mistakes, mindless mistakes, yeah. misuse of equipment, which you know um, leads to breaking, leads to breaking or just you know equipment failures, Lost, uh, mm-hmm. losing things, mm-hmm. um, leaving gates open. You said, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and then you've lo- you lump spilling drinks. Oh in yeah, that. spilling drinks goes in there because uh-huh. that's just straight up clumsiness. Yeah, sure. Um, what else? Crystal, you got any any input on this? Do we need miss to deadlines. Miss deadlines. Yeah, we said miss deadlines. I do not miss a deadline. Well, no. you know what we said? We said, guess whose magazine articles got in on time, and That's who true. else's didn't? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Won't name any names, but just saying, my <laughs> article was in on time, and so was Sam's. <laughs> but um, I'm not about waiting until the last minute. I do have to say, the first grant oh. I ever worked on was Sam. <laughs> was a Cabarrus Community Foundation grant, and Sam came into my office, and I needed to upload six things from him, and I had two minutes until that grant was due. Literally got it submitted with, like, 30 seconds left. It was glorious. <laughs> glorious. Yeah. No, we're not doing that again. No, we don't do that anymore. 
by God, that feeling of relief folks, when you got her in. Yeah, these folks are shaping me up around here. <laughs> but Sam has been a really big help. He's he's helped me on some farmland grants and some clean water grants, and I know Cody's enjoyed having him help him. He did so. a good job with our uh, our conservation committee. Yeah. Presentation. Let's keep tooting my horn. What else have I done good? <laughs> you did good, and the only thing that you got criticized for was my fault because I told you not to do it. Hey, remember, speaking of things that I've done good, um, remember when that fire. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of things I've done good. Oh, yeah, go ahead and say remember that. that I, I, I gave you is, a gold star. This for that is my day. gold star. Yeah. I'm actually going to add that. We're talking about adding a gold star system to the uh, we're, Days we're, Since an board. <laughs> Like a, for, go, like a forgiveness. There's like, no going back in time. Like it's gonna have to be from here on. But yes. But we we had and we I think we saw it at about the same time. But we had uh we did a burn a few weeks ago and had fire jump the line. And well, initially we thought it was a spot over. We mm-hmm. figured out what it actually was mm-hmm. was the yeah. experience, and he would have got zero days since yeah accident. yeah he would have yeah. But yeah, you caught it. Mm-hmm. Um, you want me to lay it out how it was happening? Well, I think I think for like our burning discussion, I think it's worth talking about like because we talked about that last episode is things that can happen um, that you know would be bad. Okay, bad news. so here's an example: is fire break, so bare dirt. Mm-hmm. The left side of that is the area we're burning, and we want fire. Mm-hmm. The right side of that is where we don't want fire. Mm-hmm. So. What had happened, you know, a spot over would be where a firebrand or an ember or a spark floated through the air, through the smoke, and landed on the opposite side of the fire break and ignited, fuel. And yeah. ignited on that side. That would be a spot over. Well, we saw that happen as in all of a sudden there's fire on the wrong side of the fire break. Sam spotted it before I did, which, gold star. That's rare. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited. You're usually on high alert, and, and I mm-hmm. definitely told you straight up that, that was way to go. Mm-hmm. Good job, yeah. got it put out, no issues whatsoever. But the thing was, is the more I thought about it, I was like, there's no way fire spotted over right here. The wind was going a different direction. I was like, I don't understand this, and I was trying to figure out so I can watch for these factors next time. And I got to thinking, we had taken a picture. I'd taken a picture of Sam and our intern. Well. Our intern, this was his first burn ever, and he was doing very well. He did a great job. He was doing yeah. very well, but, you know, there's a few things that, you know, just being mindless, you know, and not knowing to watch out for, he didn't do. And one of the things he forgot to do when he posed for his picture was get his torch turned straight up. Mm-hmm. And, and then, put out. And put out. And he was standing on the wrong side of the fire break, and his torch was still lit, and it dripped one drop of fuel and a little piece of fire that it was the fuel was so poor that it took a long time to ignite. So right where that picture was taken... That's where his fuel dropped, and that's where the, it took it about, what, I would say a minute or and longer. More, we were yeah. already dispersed from taking the picture, mm-hmm. and it ignited over there, and it looked like a spotter, but it was actually where he had actually dropped yeah. fire. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. But, yes, yeah, Sam caught it, and I couldn't have been prouder of him. I was like, I'll train that guy. <laughs> that's my protege. Oh, guys, thanks. Yep, this has been a really nice last few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we still got about five minutes or so. If we just needed to keep talking about the good things Sam's done. Let's talk about um our good buddies over at backcountry and beyond before we shut this baby down yeah um so we said earlier that they're going to be at the dixie deer classic but you shouldn't wait till the dixie deer classic to go see you ever you ever have you been to backcountry beyond yet chris yeah yeah you've been over there what uh what's your favorite item they carry in the store is it quite let me guess paddle boards (laughs) (laughs) that was sarcastic because i know crystal doesn't paddleboard no i'm not a paddleboard she's a kayaker not a paddleboarder yeah What's your what would be one item that you would recommend going to check out? And you can't know, take socks because that's the one yeah, I always use. Yeah, socks is a good one. Um, I don't know. I'm a fan of the Yetis. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We talk about that a lot. I said last time, everybody that doesn't have a Yeti wants one. They just don't want to buy it. They prefer it to be a gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's and that's true. a good place to get a gift for somebody else. Yeah, and get it cheaper than than mm-hmm. retail usually. Um, I'll I, tell you one um, that I think they have that's an underlooked item at Backcountry and Beyond. At Backcountry and Beyond is the selection of very good polarized sunglasses. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna use Costas for mine. Yeah, co- I mean. The, Costas, I actually am not running a pair of Costas right now. I broke my set. I need to send them in. But I'm noticing a... Zero speed. day since an accident? Is that no, it's been, a, it's been a while back. But they are um, getting excited. They are a game-changing piece of equipment. For a tr- Crystal's a trout fisherman, too. I don't uh, even think for trout Crystal's fishing. got a sweet uh, brook trout mount in her living room that she caught. But I think as an outdoor professional, good sunglasses are imperative. Crystal's shaking her head, yes. Or an outdoors person, in, I mean, not even a professional, just a hobbyist. If you're, if you're spending any amount of time outside, your eyes are, you only got two eyes. Yeah. Once those go bad, you're done, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's LASIK, but that only that can only work for a limited amount of time. So just having that eye protection and, you know, not only from light, but from sticks and rocks and chainsaw mm-hmm. dust and, God, everything that goes in your eye, well, I mean, which we is everything. Our, every day that we're at... In the uh, you know in the outdoors working outside I'm working with you, you're wearing your coasters every day and when I had mine I'm wearing my coasters even on cloudy days yeah I mean mm-hmm. they're around my neck mm-hmm. all the time and usually mm-hmm. on my face if I'm outside mm-hmm. it goes in as part of that gear that you carry every day with you your chapstick your multi tool and yep. your sunglasses are on your neck and um, it's not only Costa Costa is the one that we like around here but they have a lot of other good stuff too and have all the different styles right there you can try them on and, yeah, um, and that's what you said Sam Sam is adamantly opposed to ordering eyeglasses online mm-hmm. he, he said it's never worked out great for him because you got to get that facial fit and you can never tell what's going to work on your yeah face. i don't think which maybe, I, I agree maybe with. it's a I've little bit of maybe it's a little online. bit of vanity but i don't think it is like everybody's got different shaped faces and you don't know until you look at yourself in the mirror what with that thing face? on and does this fit my face <laughs> yeah you know, is I this agree. fit or do I look weird? Is it sticking out way? Yeah, past you're not gonna wear them if you look stupid mm-hmm. in them. Yeah, exactly. And and they're such a they're such a big investment that um, I got to make sure I, they look right and they fit right. So uh, backcountry beyond that's that'd be one thing that I recommend going. But I mean, there's so many other stuff, uh, so much other stuff to go get there. But um, go check them out. And that's really all I got to say. Backcountryandbeyond.com. If you don't want to go there, but yeah, go see this. And like I always say, customer service. You're gonna get a southern boy down there at my country Milan, that's worth its weight in gold just to get somebody you can understand that knows the same things you know they're going to talk about it with you and they're not going to like push you into something you're not interested in or or try to sell you insurance while you're there yeah so i'm interested in that yep. a lot um well crystal thank you so much for coming this is i always love having you on thank you for having me yeah we're going to try to do a whole bunch more projects um, if you've got a project that you know about that needs to come our way, like Crystal said, we're a reactionary group for the most part. So if you know something super special, Crystal's home phone number is. <laughs> <laughs> Call her. She likes to be called at supper time, usually. Um, what time you eat supper? About 7, 7.30? No, I'm kidding. But seriously, call the office um, and talk to any of us, and we'll, we'll put you in the direction of Crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part. So, yeah, um, with that said, let's uh, talk next week. Sounds good. If you're like us, you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. 
when you get to where you're going, don't forget. Like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. There you can find out about all the events we're putting on, all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.